Amen. Thank you, choir. I already dropped something. Friends, today uh, we continue a sermon series that we began about three weeks ago. If you're here for the first time with us, together as a congregation, we've been looking at John chapter 15 together. Jesus gives a message to his disciples before he is arrested and then crucified the next day. It's kind of his last sermon of sorts in the gospel of John. And it's entitled Remain In because Jesus speaks of remaining in him. And he uses that term remain 13 times in 15 verses. And so we are looking at that together. And today we continue that as we look at the, the, the idea of God's love, remaining in God's unconditional love. But before we jump into uh, our scripture readings this morning, let us take a moment to bow before the Lord in prayer, asking for God's blessing of his reading today. Holy God, we give you thanks for your love and for your grace. We thank you for the many ways in which you shower your blessings upon us. And so as we gather together as your people and we center ourselves once again around your word, we pray, O God, that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds, Lord, to hear a word from you. We pray that no matter where we are today in our faith or whether we have faith or we don't have faith, Lord, that we would hear your words to us, reminding us of your great love in Jesus Christ. Lord, draw us to you that we might grow closer to you and walk in your ways and be faithful people redeemed by Christ. For We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and let all of God's children joyfully say, Amen. Amen. Friends, our unison scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. I think you saw the sign, the billboard for it already. Uh, in fact, I might get August to come back and hold that up during the whole service for me as we think about that. But let us read God's word together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Our second reading comes to us from John chapter 15, two verses, but very important verses, just like John 3, 16. John 15, beginning in verse 12. Jesus tells his disciples, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the joys of being a parent is being able to read books to your children when they're little. Good Night Moon is the first book that I ever read to my two boys, and we read it over and over and over again to the point where they uh, eventually could read it for themselves, even though they didn't really read. They could repeat every single word of it. That's the first book that I ever read to my kids, but my most favorite book that I read to my kids is this book right here. It's about two rabbits, and it's called Guess How Much I Love You. Has anyone ever read this book before or read it to your children? If not, I encourage you to get it and to read it. Uh, It's probably an Amazon bestseller, I'm sure. But I think there's a lot of theological truth in this book. You see, this book is about two rabbits, 
One is little nut brown hair, and little nut brown hair stretches out his arms as far as he can, and he says to his father, guess how much I love you. And when he stretches out his arms, he says, this much. And then the father then says, but I love you this much. And the whole book goes on and on and on as little nut brown hair stretches up high and wide and as far as he can. And every time he tells his father how much he loves him, the father always one-ups him. And his arms are always much wider than little nut brown hairs. The very end of this book, right before little nut brown hair goes to sleep, he tells his father, he says, I love you right up to the moon. And as he begins to fall asleep, his father tucks him in and he whispers to him, I love you up to the moon and back. You see, in this book, the father's love is always more than what the child can offer. Which I believe is also reminiscent of God's love for us, is it not? As we continue our sermon series today entitled Remain In, we come to Jesus' words about love and what love really looks like. So Jesus, once again, is teaching his disciples, this time after the Last Supper and before they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, for them to pray. And so Jesus tells them early on in John 15 that he is the true vine and that they are the branches and that they are to remain in him. In doing so, they will produce fruit as God intends for their lives. But disconnecting from him will only result in separation, which will make them like a branch that falls off from the vine and withers away. And so then Jesus reminds them to remain in his love, to remember God's mercy and grace in their own lives. For this centers their responsiveness to live lives of gratitude, following his commands, which keeps them rooted in his love. And then Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus sums up God's commands with one important command, love each other. But Jesus' command is much bigger than that. He says to love each other as he has loved them. This love doesn't just go up to the moon. But it goes to the moon and back. And his love is more than words. It's lived in every possible way. In fact, his disciples know this love. They've witnessed it and experienced it themselves. And they know that this love is higher than any love that they could ever offer back. For Jesus has called each one of them to follow him. They didn't seek him out. Actually, he sought them out and invited them to follow him. He showed up while Peter, James, and John were fishing. And he called out to them to follow him. And they left their nets and immediately began to follow Jesus. He showed up to the tax collector's booth and he called out a man named Matthew. And he invited him to come and follow him. And Matthew left that life behind and he began to follow Jesus. And we have to assume that for every one of the twelve, Jesus went to each one and called them by name to come and follow him. As they did so, they witnessed his love and action. They've seen him have compassion on the crowds who came to hear him teach, giving them spiritual nourishment but also physical nourishment as thousands upon thousands of them gathered together to hear what he had to say. 
They've witnessed his love in action as he's cleansed the leper, made the blind man see, healed a woman with a bleeding disorder, and even raised the dead to life. They've seen his love in action in a boat together on the Sea of Galilee as he calmed a raging storm that scared them half to death. They've seen his love in action as he's cured the demon-possessed and how he sought out the outcast among them, the tax collectors, the sinners, and even the prostitutes. They have seen his love in action when Jesus stopped the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from stoning a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, telling them, let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. You see, friends, Jesus' love is like no other. And yet, and yet they still don't understand the fullness of his love, but they will. In fact, Jesus shares that the greatest love is to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what he will do as he hangs on a cross at Golgotha. But it won't be just for them. It will also be for his enemies. Those who conspired and spoke falsely about him. Those who mocked him and called him a liar. Those who said that he was of the devil. And even those who carried out his execution. Jesus speaks of God's love. And God's love in the Greek is an agape love. A love that loves us without conditions. It's a love that gives even when nothing is given back. A love that has no boundaries or prerequisites to earn it in any way. It's not a love that's just for friends. It's also a love for enemies. And even for those who are apathetic to even receiving love. In fact, John writes about it earlier in his gospel saying this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This passage is the heart of the good news. Its words are to scripture what the declaration of independence is to America. Freedom. It describes the depths of God's love for us, the world, the whole world. And if anyone ever wonders how much does God love us, God gives us the answer right here. It declares that the love of God is not just words carelessly declared without exhibiting any proof, but that its proof is in the act of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. Notice that John doesn't say, for God to love the ones who loved him back, or the faithful, or even the church. I know it says, for God so loved the world. And the world includes the righteous and the unrighteous, the givers and the takers, the honest and the dishonest, the loving and the hateful, the humble. And even the proud. God loves the world unconditionally. And God not only loves the world distorted by sin. But he also gives his one and only son as a gift to the world. And Jesus we know is God's only son. The word made flesh. Thus God is giving of himself. 
God's love is shown in his giving, his pursuance of every single one of us. And God loves the world so much that he left the glories of heaven for the scorn of this earth. John tells us in his gospel that he comes to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yes, in his giving of himself, he comes to rescue the lost, to give a real life to the world that's lost its way, to shine light into the darkness and to save the world from itself. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have eternal or everlasting life. I find it interesting that when you read this passage of Scripture, it is actually sandwiched between two stories, two real stories of Jesus interacting with two different types of people. The first story is about a man named Nicodemus who sought after Jesus in the dark of night. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he knew that the Pharisees weren't fond of Jesus, but he was curious about Jesus and wanted to come and talk to him directly. Nicodemus is an insider. He was afraid to be seen with Jesus in the daylight. But then after John 3.16, we get another story, and this story is about a Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at a well. This woman is an outsider. This woman comes to a well during the heat of the day to avoid everyone because of the lifestyle that she's been living. You see, whoever believes in him, the righteous Pharisee and the sinful Samaritan woman are included in this whoever. Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone, but invites everyone to trust in him, to have faith that he alone is where salvation is found. But I find that the problem is that the message is often distorted. Some make faith in Jesus about not going to hell rather than having abundant life here and now and ultimately forever. They manipulate our emotions trying to scare the hell out of us. I remember as a youth uh, growing up when I was in the church hearing numerous sermons preached on where are you going to go if you died tonight? I remember going to Carowinds on uh, all kinds of youth trips. And, of course, you have fun and then they catch you with church at the end of the trip, right? And so everyone would be crammed into the Palladium and they'd have a speaker there. And that speaker would say, last year when the groups came, there was this one group whose church bus wrecked and several people died. I wonder where they went. Well, as you can imagine, at the end of that service, I was the first person up front ready to receive Jesus. I was ready to be saved, if you know what I mean. I've probably been saved more than most of you. (laughs) And Lord knows I need it. But as I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I find that Jesus doesn't give sermons like that. Instead, he focuses on our love for God and for one another. He wants us to have a life of meaning and a life of purpose that is selfless rather than selfish. Now, he may say things to trigger a response in us, but that's to get our attention to straighten up 
it's not meant to condemn us. For he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. You see, condemnation is not of God. That's our own doing. John 3.17 says this, or 3.18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God isn't the one who condemns. We condemn ourselves because we're given the right to choose. You see, God loves us in freedom, which means that we can accept or reject his love in our lives. The choice is not forced. The choice is ours. God's love is not about condemning any one of us. It's about saving us from our sin. It's about guiding us in the way of life, much like a lighthouse that shines its light in the dark of night, leading ships safely back to the shore. That's God's love for us. And Jesus' love is one that gives absolutely everything and only requires that we trust in what he does for us. His love is not earned by our obedience, and it's not lost by our disobedience. It's unconditional. In fact, when asked by the crowds who were following him, they said to Jesus, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. To believe. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It's not so much about perishing in eternal hell and some unquenchable fire as it is about wasting our lives by believing in things that cannot save us and ultimately leave us disconnected from God like a withered branch. Really, it's a life or death decision. And that's why Jesus says that he's the bread of life and the living water That's why Jesus says that he's the true vine and the gate and the light of the world and the good shepherd and the the way, the truth, and the life and even the resurrection and the life. These metaphors are important. I mean, we must have bread and water to survive. A branch cannot live if it's disconnected from the vine. The gate keeps out the predators that seek to devour the sheep. And the good shepherd protects and watches over his flock at all times. You see, Jesus is not one of many ways. He is the only way. He's not a truth of many truths. He is the only truth. He's not one of the many sources of life. He is the life. He's the resurrection and the life. And he is the one who resurrects our sinful hearts And he gives us true life as it was intended from the very beginning of time. This, friends, is the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. A life of purpose and a life of meaning. A life that is not fixated upon oneself, but dedicated in service to God to love others as God loves us. See, faith starts with belief in the one who pursues us. And it's lived out in the ways in which we love one another, as Christ has loved us. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Instead of leaving us dead in our sins with no hope, God pursues us in his incarnation and by giving his life to us and for us. His great love brings him on a rescue mission, not a condemnation tour. And he shows us his love and his grace in his ministry and also by dying on the cross for our sins. You see, when Jesus speaks of the greatest love, he's speaking about laying down his own life for every single one of us. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, guess how much I love you? As he stretches his arms out on the cross and he says, I love you this much. And in doing so, Jesus calls us to trust in him, the resurrection and the life who conquered death and reminds us that because he lives, we also live. And in receiving his love, his good news of grace, he calls us to love one another with the same love that's been given to each of us. He calls us to love unconditionally, to love without expecting anything in return, to love the unlovable, to love by giving of ourselves so that others may ultimately know that we belong to him. In fact, Jesus told his disciples before he washed their feet in John 13, that's when that happens, he later then tells them this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Sound like something you heard before? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way that we love others will be evidence of our connection with Christ. For our love should mimic the love of Jesus. Thus we are witnesses of God's love for the world. As we love one another and those whom God places in our lives, God is actively at work sharing his good news of love and of grace and of abundant life to all who wish to follow him. My question for you today is, friends, do you know the depths of God's love for you? Do you know it? Have you accepted the love of God and Jesus for you? If so, praise be to God. That's the easy part. The harder part is to love one another as God has loved us. I charge you to do that. That is what Jesus calls us to do. But I also would be foolish to think that everyone that's here today has accepted that. I recognize that there may be others here today or who are watching online who have rejected God's love because it's been shared in a condemnatory way. Or maybe because you've resisted God's love because you think that you can just do life on your own. If you're in that boat, I want you to know something. Jesus did not come here to condemn you. He came to seek and to save the lost. And the lost includes all of us who have turned away from God. And he wants you to know that he truly loves you so much 
and how important you are to him, that you were worth dying for. He wants to bring light into your darkness. He wants to give you his peace that surpasses all understanding if you'll let him. He refused to withhold his own life so that you might have life and have it abundantly. All you have to do is put your trust in him for he will not let you down. And if you're here today and you say, Jeff, I would like to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Well, I'll give you an altar call. It won't be to scare you from hell. It'll be to scare you into God's love. To, 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 God would just draw you right in so that you might know the depths of his love for you. So that you might live a life of love for him. If you're in that boat today, please see me at the end of the service. I would love to talk to you about that. But that is how Jesus draws us to himself. And today we have students who will come before the church in a few moments and they will declare their faith in Jesus Christ. For them to publicly acknowledge that Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior. Not because mom and dad say that they must, but because they believe it for themselves. So students, today we rejoice with you that God has made this known to you. And that you are now stepping out in faith to hold his hand as he already holds yours. I remind you that your faith is just the beginning. Just the beginning of your life in Christ. Love one another as he loves you. Be witnesses of Christ's love at school. With your peers. And wherever God calls you to be. So that others might know that you are his disciples. And that they might come to know the great love of Jesus Christ even through your life. To everyone in this congregation. May every single one of us remember that the love of Jesus Christ holds us fast even when we mess up and we turn away. For Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to save us. And his arms are always open wide to receive us back every single time we confess our sins before him. You see, God's love is not conditional. It's not based on how great we are or even how bad we are. For his love never fails. And his love never ends. So friends, today... My prayer is that we would always remember how much he loves us. For he loves us to the moon and back. Or if it's Toy Story, he loves you to infinity and beyond. But truth be told, Jesus tells all of us that he loves you this much. Never to forget it. And he calls you to accept that love and in turn to love others. In the same manner that he's loved you. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.